My agent called, he said he got some interest in my script I'm glad I didn't tell him that I never finished it I got my cast of characters and outline for the plot I even got a famous classic case of writer's block Get it out of my head Welcome to On the Page. This is the podcast that answers all of your questions about the craft and business of screenwriting. My name is Pilar Alessandra, and I'm the instructor and script consultant here at On the Page. Joining me today are two incredibly accomplished writers, Shireen Razak and Angela Harvey. Thank you so much for being here, both of you. Oh, thanks for having us. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Shireen and Angela are... There are many things, but let's start with the fact that they are co-chairs of the Think Tank for Inclusion and Equity, a consortium of working TV writers committed to increasing inclusion and improving working conditions for all TV writers, in particular those from underrepresented communities. Now, Shireen has written for NBC's Trauma, J.J. Abrams' Undercovers, Kevin Williamson's The Secret Circle, TNT's Rizzolian Isles, Sci-Fi's Haven, Freeform Shadowhunters, and is currently a co-executive producer on NBC's New Amsterdam. Angela Harvey helped write and produce 100 episodes of the MTV breakout show Teen Wolf, then went on to serve as a writer-producer on Salvation for CBS Television and Station 19, one of the latest offerings from Shondaland. She's currently developing a new show for Disney Plus in partnership with Pharrell Williams' production company I Am Other. And in 2018, Angela's film Gin launched to critical acclaim at South by Southwest, and her next project, Max and Me, will hit the festival circuit fall 2020 so you guys aren't busy at all you're yeah Yeah. (laughs) you're just sitting around and eating bonbons and enjoying enjoying corona yeah sure (laughs) sure so 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 with your crazy busy schedules all this content that you're producing okay i would love to know how did you both get involved in the think tank for inclusion and equity uh, you want me to go first? Sure. Yeah, go ahead. You, you were the beginning of the thing, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, Angela and I, actually, we went to this uh, diversity town hall back in 2016. And um, we didn't actually even know each other back then, but both of us were in the audience. And we were listening to what all, what all the problems were from underrepresented writers. And we, you know, all of us both of us have so many underrepresented writer friends because, I mean, underrepresented writers just kind of naturally know each other, naturally talk to each other about issues and problems in the industry. And what I realized is that it didn't feel like it was going, things were going to change unless we started talking more. We started doing more and we started um, actually digging into the issues because a lot of us get told, um, oh, that just happened to you. Mm. I mean, I'm sure it's, it's not that big of a thing. It just happened to you. So um, we, I started getting some friends together talking about what, what we should do. And then Color of Change a few years ago put out a report called Race in the Writer's Room. And then it was like all of it came together and we decided that's what we want to do. We want to do that report for all underrepresented writers. Because what we've been noticing was that regardless of your background, all of us were having the same issues. 
we all have different um, issues within our communities in terms of the narrative, in terms of the storytelling, but all of us were having the same career-oriented issues. So we decided to put numbers with to the anecdotes. And um, that's how the first survey, the first report came together. How, and I, so oh, I, oh, sure. <laughs> I met um, our other co-chair, Tawal Pinnikasset, um, at a party. And we started talking. And he has he comes from nonprofit world. He has an organizing background. He's amazing. We could not do this without him because organizing is a big part of what Thai is about um, because it's, it's the research and it's also grassroots organizing. And so um, Angela came on board, I think, during our second year. And, um, and then oh. everything... Sorry? No, I came on the first year. Not to my year away. Oh, sorry. <laughs> first, the first year that we did the survey, right? Right. That's yeah. what it was. Yeah. yeah. Second year of operations, right? Yeah. And so, um, yeah, the first, the first, the first year we were just in in kind of quandary land. <laughs> we weren't sure what we were doing, but once we solidified on the survey, um, then everything just kind of came together. And what we realized, um, all of us, there's everybody that's in Thai is just incredibly passionate about the work because we've experienced so much in our careers and we don't want the people coming up under us to have to experience the same things we did. Well, I'm curious when you said, um, you know, we got talking and, you know, and, you know, most people just go, Oh no, that just happened to you. I'm just curious on sort of a conversational level. What were some of those things that would come up when you would talk to each other? You know, this happened to me. Oh, that happened to me, too. Can you tell people some of the, the examples of the things that were happening to you and your peers? Uh, one of the biggest things is title repetition. And um, that was one of the things, the first thing Shireen and I bonded over. She repeated staff writer five times. Wow. And I repeated it four times. She repeated it five times on, across several different shows. I repeated it four times on one show. And um, actually, the first time I talked to Shireen about it was the first time I had talked to someone else that it happened to. And then we did the survey that first year, and it came back something like, I believe the first year results were like 55% of underrepresented writers had a repeated staff writer, and the number went up to like, if I, and I'm so bad at remembering the numbers, I'm sorry, but like I believe it was 68% if you just count people of color repeating those early and mid-level titles and um so in addition to like discrimination and microaggressions and those types of things it really does hit your career path and your bottom line so let's talk about title repetition for a second how what is should be expected in a career as far as how often you would repeat a staff writer position before being moved up to the next level and the next level is uh, story. Story, editor. story editor. Okay, so so what? How many years normally would that be? How many seasons would that be? It's supposed to be one one ah. season. And one of the things that we'd actually like to see added to the um, the MBA, the minimum basic agreement with the WGA, is that there be like an actual episode uh, threshold that you that once you meet that threshold, you have to be bumped up because. So many people are doing, so, you know, so many non-underrepresented writers, they do 16 episodes or they do 22 episodes, they get their bump. 
But a lot of us, I mean, I did something crazy like somewhere in the 80s, 80 something episodes before I got bumped up. And that there shouldn't be that kind of discrepancy between underrepresented writers and non-underrepresented writers. What's what's the rationale that tends to be given? It varies. It honestly varies, especially now that we have so many um, so many outlets and so many short episode seasons. So um, the bumps have kind of like historically been based on that broadcast model, whereas you did you came on to a show and you were doing, you know, 18, 22, 24 episodes. And then in the best case scenario, that show got renewed and you got your bump. It was already in your contract. But now um, I know a staff writer who did who came on to Selena um, and they only did like six episodes. So um, it took her almost a year to get her second staff job. And now she's coming on the middle of another season of a different show and repeating staff writer for the first time. And we'll see where it goes from there. And you're finding this uh, more and more with, with uh, diverse writers over white writers. And that's what part of the, uh, of the report is about is asking, is this just, is this just me? Oh, no, look, it's everybody. How interesting. And when we're talking about this, everybody, it's not just titles we're talking about. We're talking about money. Um, mm-hmm. So in a way, it's, it's you know, having a, a diversity spot somebody may be, may be keeping and then, and then keeping that one person in a low-income uh, low position among everybody else. So it checks their I don't know. I mean, you actually had something to say about that as well as 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 far as diversity hire and fellowships. I was just wondering, I know I'm sort of going all over the place, but since we are <laughs> talking about sort of keeping people as like cheap labor, basically, um, right. can, can you elaborate on that a little bit? Um, well, I mean, oh. Go ahead. You no, I would rather you go ahead because I didn't go through a diversity <laughs> program. So sure. oh, oh, that's true. Um, the, the I did go through one of the diversity programs, which was uh, the CBS Writers Mentoring Program. And then my first two times at Staff Writer, I was the diversity slot mm-hmm. hire. And then the next times, the next three shows, I was the staff writer. So sometimes it feels like even though diversity staff writer is supposed to be equal to staff writer, I think in the industry, it's seen as a level below. Wow. And and so it's like, okay, well, you did diversity staff writer. Now you have to do staff writer. Oh, that's then, crazy. That's nuts. Got it. And we're also hearing from people that, because what a lot of studios would say to me is like, oh, well, you did staff writer on, you know, that other studio, but you haven't done staff writer for me. Uh-huh. And so they would say, oh, because you're, you know, it's that show, this show, you have to repeat titles, but we're even hearing now that people are getting written into their contracts that they have to do multiple years at staff writer before they'll get bumped up, which is um, a step in the wrong direction. Sure. As opposed to step forward. <laughs> sure. Sure. Um, in your top findings, I have to put my glasses on, <laughs> by the way, your report is awesome and it has all these pictures and like nice, bold, letters and stuff so I was like oh oh good this is a report for me thank you very much <laughs> so you mentioned that um 49.2 percent of underrepresented rep, underrepresented writers have repeated staff writer at least once mm-hmm. um this jumps to 
percent for people of color. Uh, comparatively, only 34.6 percent of overrepresented writers have repeated staff writer at least once. Um, you mentioned that. Um, there were no underrepresented writers at the upper level in their most recent writers' room. Eighteen point eight percent said that, um, mm-hmm. and forty five point two percent of respondents said there was only one. Um, and we're talking about the upper level now. So this is also an issue. Yes, absolutely, and it really um, ties into these diversity programs in a in a way because those diversity programs started over twenty years ago. So if you consistently, if you came in at diversity higher, it should have taken you about eight years to get to the upper level. And here we are 20 years down the road. Where did everybody go? Interesting. Then the the WGA inclusion card that came out earlier this year um, showed a lot of attrition, especially around those mid-level roles, which says that, A, People are coming in, people are coming, getting hired at near parity, but for many reasons that are outlined in detail in the report, they're they're falling away. They're choosing to walk away more often than not. So we've got some work to do to make our industry a more hospitable place for underrepresented writers. Well, let's talk about that, that inhospitable environment as well, because it, it, yes, there's promotion and there's equal pay, um, hours on a very practical level. But, um, if somebody chooses to walk away because they don't feel welcome, um, can you, can you elaborate a little bit more on, on those kind of microaggressions that you were, uh, uh, talking about a little bit earlier? Do you want to jump in on that? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so, there are so many. Um, I think both of us can speak to this. Um, <laughs> there's, um, there's constantly being talked over. There's constantly being interrupted. There's constantly um, being treated like your opinions don't matter. Or on the flip side of that is the you're only here to speak to the, um, the characters of color. Mm-hmm. Or you're only here to speak about... Or you're expected to speak to the experience of all the characters of color when you're just one person. Because <laughs> um, I'm definitely, I'm South Asian, since people can't see me. I'm South Asian, and I'm often expected to understand South Asian and Asian. And then also, because I'm a Muslim writer, everything in the Middle East. And I'm like, good Lord, that is a lot of geography for me <laughs> to know. Sure, sure. I can't really even tell you about California. Yeah, <laughs> got it. Uh, that's interesting. Okay, all right. What yeah, what, what other things? What other things will make somebody? Because I mean, to to say, you know what? I just can't take it anymore. Or I'm done. You really need to be pushed to a, a certain level. Um, what are um, Angela? Um, are there anything? Well, I don't. I don't want you to have to tell tales out of school. But actually, let's go back to the report. Tell me a little bit about some of the things that people were talking about within the report that um, that they felt made for an inhospitable environment. There are so many stories that we. we um, I'm part of the communications team for Ty, so uh, at Right Inclusion on Twitter, <laughs> we are always writing down and um, disseminating some of the things that people deal with on a day-to-day basis. Like um, I, 
it's it's hard for me sometimes to like tell other people's stories (laughs) so i'll just yeah um i'll just go ahead and share a couple things that have happened to me i mean um i think the biggest um silencing tactic that has gotten used to me is when you pitch things from a a person of color perspective and the first thing that people say is oh that's too political we don't want to we don't want to make the show political or if you pitch an incident that like um, involves racism. It's like, oh, well, now the whole rest of the episode has to be about that. <laughs> like, no, that's not how racism works in people's lives. You know, you've got to keep it moving. It's something sure. that's folded in. It's part of the fabric of the show. Um, that's that's also, I, One of the times I was repeating staff writer, I had an upper level writer um, come into my office and say, well, why don't you just go out? It's like, you're... Um, you're a woman of color, you'll go to the front of the line. Like, it's like, if we don't promote you here, just leave. Oh, God. You know, uh, yeah. It's, it'll be easy for you to get hired. That And that is really one of the... I, I just saw a tweet this morning from... Um, this was actually a director who said he was told on set that um, a director told him that he wasn't going to um, befriend him because all of his friends were having trouble paying their mortgages because of the diversity program. Are you Hello. kidding me? Are <laughs> yeah. you kidding me? What? Wow. Oh my God. Wow. I mean, that's boy, people are getting brazen. At least they're saying what they really think. Right. Oh my I mean, God. But you know what? I mean, I'm not defending that behavior on any level, but I will say that that is a narrative that has sort of taken root with a lot of agents and managers and people that, want to tell their cishet able-bodied white male clients that you're not working because those people are taking your jobs versus saying um you got to be talented and work hard because this is tough i Um, have had you know more than one writer say that to me that that's what their manager agents said to them um and you're absolutely right it's just a way of soft peddling you know yes you have to work harder no your script wasn't wasn't good enough um and so it's it's the new it's the new um it just wasn't for us kind of thing right, <laughs> right yeah right. yeah interesting and then and then in your report you say that 10.2 percent of respondents i keep taking off my glasses i keep putting on my glasses <laughs> you'd think i would just know just keep them on okay 10.2 percent of respondents report being fired for pushing back on stereotypical character storylines Okay, and um, uh, also I, I'm trying to find the the stat here, but they also um, are when they report an in, inhospitable workplace, there all there's also retaliation as well. Um, so wow, so you, ah, so you feel like you can't say anything about how you're being treated in the writers' room or how a character is being treated on screen. Is that right? That's very right. And I think that it is changing right now. I think that people are coming forward a little bit more just in light of the times that we're in. But when we first started Thai, we didn't even, we were anonymous. We didn't necessarily, and when our first survey came out, it was a big, it was a full on meeting. All of us in the room debating, do we go on record and say that we're the people saying these things out loud. Um, a lot of people were really nervous about the pushback that they would get. Um, some of us are 
um, n- not as far along in our career as others, and they were nervous that they would be derailing their entire careers by participating in this work. So, um, but you did you did put out a letter, um, and everybody did sign it. So that's in addition to this report, right? It was a letter um, to the WGA, or I'm, there was a, sort of a, a letter that was released. It was an open letter that came out with the first survey. Yeah, we. Um, it was one way honestly, to help get us some backup so that when we went on the record, it felt like we wouldn't be killing our careers. Um, the, the wonderful thing has been that in going on the record, we've actually received a lot of, um, a lot of support, a lot of support from people in the industry, um, both underrepresented writers and non-underrepresented writers, because they, one, they're 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 grateful for the data, mm-hmm. and they're also um, grateful for um, knowing how they can use this data in some ways. Like we've definitely had some people reach out to us to say they've used the statistic of um, how many underrepresented writers have to repeat staff writer in order to negotiate their deals with business affairs, and. Because if you say, did you know that 49.2% of underrepresented writers have to repeat staff writer? The, and business affairs is like, I, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you want to be that person? Huh. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. Well, actually, let's talk about some of the recommendations that you make. Um, tell me, should we just go down the list? or Or would you like to... Um, talk about your favorite recommendations that were made in this report. Let's go down the list. That way we say them all. Okay. (laughs) All right. So top recommendations. I'm going to read the first one. Collect, track, and review inclusion and equity data for all TV writers' rooms, as well as within the ranks of non-writing producers, executives, and representatives. This data should include the LGBTQ and disability communities and be made available in full transparency on an annual or biannual basis. Okay, so that means that people are, are are creating data within their own personal writing writers rooms and and being transparent that way. We're actually asking the WGA to do that. Okay. Because we have the statistics in house and and they have been they've started doing that with the inclusion report that they've put out twice now. Um, so basically trying tracking um, how many underrepresented writers are employed what studios, what shows. Um, and But the other side of that is getting that data from agents in the agents, agencies and the managers and the executives because it's not just writers who have the quote-unquote power to get the stories told. A lot of these things, a lot of these stories are being shaped by the notes that they get from executives. And so there needs to be um, diversification in the executive um, ranks as well. Got it. Got it. And if people know that their stats are coming on in, they'll be they'll, it'll keep them in check a little bit. Okay. Here's exactly. here's the next one. Fully fund an independent reporting system for bias, discrimination, and harassment that protects victims. Formalize and enforce penalties for offenders. Okay. So what would you like to say about that? There are... Um, there are actually a couple of groups that are working on building this right now that um, 
we're participating with and I am excited about it. I mean, it's too, it's too early to, to share a lot of details about it, but um, the, the issue is we have these from microaggressions to full on just aggressive writers rooms and um, no way to really deal with them. You mm-hmm. go to studio HR, well, the studio HR is there to protect the studio. You maybe could maybe go to the guild, but that's it's you know it's a, a long and muddled and a little bit of a confusing process. So what we're proposing is a third party, somebody who's not necessarily there to protect a showrunner or to protect a show, but to move, but to protect writers. So um, I am excited about the possibilities in that regard. I think that. Um, there can be a levels, you know, from versus please stop touching my hair to we're going to do a full on expose in Vanity Fair. <laughs> like there is, there's a lot of ground to cover in the middle. So, um, yeah, I think that that's a really important step and that we can really use. All right. Great. Um, Hmm, this is good stuff. Okay, I'm, I'm getting so, I'm looking at this going, <laughs> okay, review and eliminate bias and or discrimination in staffing submissions and in development. Review and eliminate bias. I like the eliminate part too, because it's not just going like, yeah, let's just, just let's look at it. It's like, let, yeah, let's, let's <laughs> kick it out of here, right? Um, okay, so that sort of s- s- speaks for itself. Um, going to the next one, which is increase the number of underrepresented professionals in leadership roles, something that we talked about. Mandate management and implicit bias training for all individuals with oversight and supervisory responsibility, including but not limited to showrunners, up, upper level writers, non-writing producers, executives, agents, and managers. Mandate management and implicit bias training. What do you think that would be like? What do you think that um, at what stage in a show would the training come up? Um uh, how long do you think a training like this would be? What do you think that it would be? Uh, well, we know what it's focusing on, but tell, tell me your vision a little bit for this. We actually, our, our vision has evolved even since the report came out because um, we actually don't even think that it should be limited to only people on supervisory walls, although it needs to start there for sure, because a lot of stuff that happens in the writer's room is a top-down issue and stuff that, that happens at the studio level is a top-down issue. But we actually think that um, implicit bias training and anti-racism training um, and you know anti-discrimination training, all of that needs to happen at all levels mm-hmm. because in a writer's room, it's – it's there's a lot that has to do with respecting each other and it, and a lot of stuff is unconscious and a lot of it is ingrained and these trainings are designed to make you much more aware of the things that you don't even know that you're doing got it got it i have a, I have a question for you guys as creators so we're talking about implicit bias in terms of the the writers room dynamics right but the implicit bias that ends up on the page that um, writers um, may not even realize that they have. Um, We were talking about this uh, 
you know, a couple of months ago, and I, I've been trying to bring it up in a rewrite class about doing a, a bias pass on your own work. Mm-hmm. Um, and just even the jobs you've put characters in, um, you know, uh, where you, where you, you've, have your characters living, how they're living. These are what we're talking about in terms of the, the, the bias that we have that we don't think we have, right? But why did you put that character, right? So tell me some other things that um, this uh, Im- implicit bias, how it ends up affecting characters on the page as, as you know, uh, executive producers and, and creators. I'm just interested in, in your take on that. It's it's kind of impossible to do a bias pass on your own work. Huh. You you've got to get somebody else's eyes on it to to help find those issues, those things that you've put in. And um, one of the things that we were, we've just been talking about recently is this habit, particularly on the feature side of authenticity pass, um, where you know they'll have an a writer write a script and then it's based in, I don't know, like an Asian environment. So then they'll bring on an Asian writer to like Asian it up a little bit. <laughs> it's like but, what Shireen was saying about like now she has to represent everything, right? Yeah, yeah sure. <laughs> but the ship has sailed, right? Because ethnicity and culture and race are not like window dressing. They're not costumes. There's some, they inform character from the beginning. So if you've already written a whole story that's based on this family that I don't know, was put in a situation that they would have handled completely differently based on their culture. Like there's, there's no way you can just do a pass on that. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's baked wrong. Ah, Um, it's like adding the sugar after you made the cake. Right. Exactly. Okay. I like it. I like it. Well, you said baked wrong and like you're speaking my language now of (laughs) baking things. All right. All right. No, that makes a lot of sense. So the answer would have been write it, write it correctly the first time. Right. Dig in, find out more. Haven't have more than one Asian writer. That, that kind of thing. Be like, here, could you fix this? Could you fix my my bias? That's interesting. Um, Asian writer, because that's what's happening a lot is that they start with a white writer mm-hmm. and then and then they bring in the the person of color to fix it, and then it's like, what do you want me to do with right. it? Right, page one rewrite now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> or is it checking the box for you? Like, well, we gave it to this person and yeah, look, look uh, at you yeah. know, the brown ha- person as a shield. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. However, there, you know, I mean, there are certain things that, I mean, as far as if you just sort of stop and ask yourself as you're writing any character who is different from you, um, like I said, there's just things right away where you can go like, why did I give them that job? Why yeah. did I put them in that town? Why are they a single mom? Why all those things that, you know, and it's like sometimes they're copying other movies, you know, not even like, you know, have any awareness of any actual experience. So those kind of questions I would still love to for my for writers in general to be thinking about before they hit the page because some people are just yeah. writing, you know, they're, they're writing out of their living room right now. They're not hired yet, you know, and they want a, a script that is reflective of their society, 
but they may be putting characters in boxes and not even realizing it. So I am I am interested in maybe I like a some other anything else that that I could tell them or that they could think about. Well, we Ty has a project that is going to be launched later this year, October. Yeah, yeah, fall. Yeah, October. Um, we're calling it uh, Fact Sheets, and so it's inspired by um, something that came out a couple years ago called from hashtag See Her, which was a one pager about uh, specifically women and girls and the narratives that have been created in film and TV for women and girls, how that seeped into society. And um, basically, these are the narratives that we're tired of seeing. These are the narratives that we would like to see. Um, And also how these narratives, how the ingrained narratives have affected society. And so inspired by that, we decided to do that for as many underrepresented communities as we could. So in October, we're launching the first six. I think we have 15 or 16 in the works total. And so we're hoping that those fact sheets, which will be available on our website, rightinclusion.org, no, org? Org, yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> um, they will help uh, writers like you're, you're talking about, the writers that are at home and don't have access to all of these other things, it'll help them know what are the things that they should avoid? What are the stereotypes they should avoid? And also what, um, what activist groups, which groups they should reach out to if they want help with characters and stories. So for example, for our um, African-American and black fact sheet, one of the people that one of the organizations listed is color of change. And so all of these organizations were working with, are very are do this work on a regular basis and do consulting work to make sure that their communities are being properly represented on screen. And, and you know, also, well, first of all, I have to have you guys back after you after you get that one out too, because I mean, it really speaks to to craft issues. But also, you know, when we're talking about this, everybody, it's because we don't want your project to be boring or cliche. It's not about being, oh, politically correct, if that, if you want to use that phrase, that loaded phrase. It's about the fact that you don't want to do the same thing that everybody else has done. Uh, you know, so this is actually ways to spark your creativity and get you thinking differently so that you can write something that's original. Um, oh, I'm going to move on to the rest on the list because I realized I got off the list for a second. Okay, so... <laughs> We are still on top recommendations, and we had talked about mandating management and implicit bias training. The next one is expand and fully draw upon educational programs to support underrepresented TV writers at all levels. So are we talking about fellowships here? To a certain degree, yes. Okay. Yeah, there's also like the the Guild has a mentoring program that could certainly use some expansion, and I've, I've heard that they're talking about expanding that program. Um, and then there are other grassroots groups like the parody project Ron McCann's is doing, um, a, a formal mentorship program where, um, assigning upper level writers with lower level writers. And, um, it's a matter at, at Thai, we have a community building committee that works on these sorts of issues as well. We have advocacy and community building that are outward, um, looking programs that 
just help move these conversations forward and help writers stay connected to each other and create a sense of community that um, will support and hopefully cut down on this attrition level that we've been talking about. And then the next one is provide a living wage. Oh, well, that's nice. Provide a living wage for writer's room support staff. Imagine. What? what? So individuals whose incomes are not subsidized by higher income families can accept these positions. Okay. All right. So you're you're saying writer's room support staff. Um, Are you talking about writer's assistants, PAs, uh, assistants in general? Yeah, script coordinators. Um, Interns, right, as well? I, I've never had an intern, personally. No? Okay. Writers. Um, but I always say the writer's assistant job is the toughest gig in the room. Like You, you, never let your, you can never let your mind wander. <laughs> you, know, you are always focused. You have to remember everything. You are in that room. Um, yeah, and it, and it is a closed-off um, experience for a lot of underrepresented writers. Because what you've got is everybody wants a writer's room, uh, writer's assistant gig, because it is your entry entry into the writer's room, right? That writer's assistant is going to be considered next for staff writer. And yet, because they're so low paid, often it's somebody who comes from a wealthier family that can be subsidized subsidized by that family and is able to take that low income job. So saying like a living wage for a writer's assistant would make it basically pay writer assistants more because they do work so hard, but also because it will level the playing field for who can actually afford to take the job. So you're saying it's not only about hiring, it's about it's about somebody being able to say yes to being hired. And I have, yeah, I've come across that with, with writers in the past where they got this opportunity. They're like, yeah, but I can't, I can't take can't it. I can't rent. live on it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Something that's happened yeah. recently is um, that the support staff, uh, well, writer's room support staff has organized and they've become part of IATSE. So at least now they have minimums, but those minimums are still not livable. Um, where it's even, where it's all, I shouldn't say even worse, but just as bad is on the agency and management company side. Those assistants are paid nothing. And it's part of the reason why we don't have agents and managers of color, agents and managers from any underrepresented group, because they get paid so little that they can't take those jobs in order to get into this, into the ranks, because you, you practically can't become an agent if you didn't start on a desk. You can't start on a desk if you can't afford to pay your rent. Right, right. And those assistant gigs, are they're lasting longer and longer. Like you're having people who are assistants five, ten years. Like you can't go, especially those years when you're like getting married, having kids. Like those things are not happening. You've got them on pause because you're, you're trying to be on this track and it's it's not right. And there's that whole like, well, you got school of hard knocks, kid, right? It's like an, right. an old mythology, you know. It's the like devil wears Prada kind of kind of story that you're telling, and then it's only for you know somebody again who's who has help with the rent. Um, I I'm really glad that you're bringing that out um, because I think I, I don't know I'm I'm always sort of finding that with with my clients and students and I and um, 
they feel guilty, like, oh, I should have taken this opportunity and starved, you know, and sometimes they have children or, and it's like, no, you did the right thing. You know, now my career is taking this, this much longer. It's like, it's not on you. It's on them. Okay. So then the very last one here, last, but it's not really the last. These are just the top (laughs) recommendations Um, on this list uh, is create and communicate a clear path toward advancement for support staff. So this support staff we're talking about, if you do have them at, you know, a, a lesser paid writer's assistant, for example, you're saying that they need to be told what to expect as far as advancement, how many years this is going to take. Is that right? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And what's expected. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah, what, they're, what are they signing up for? <laughs> sure. Yeah. Sure. And then there isn't all this mind reading or all this guilt of I didn't do my job right or, you know, all that kind of thing. It's hard, I think, in the creative world where there are all these nuances with writing, right? Like somebody is, they they got it technically, but you don't feel that, you know, they've got it yet, right? Or the sparkle or whatever, (laughs) (laughs) you know so sometimes like so having a more clear-cut definition of what is expected and also on their part that once that expectation is met that that company then owes them a promotion or more money or something like that is that that what we're talking about i mean what we're new is um it's inherently like unpredictable in terms of like, are you going to get another season or is this good? I mean, we, a lot of that is baked in, but in a, so far as it's possible to be straightforward, it's, um, it's really important that we do that. This, these are jobs. They're not like, we're not goofing off and <laughs> uh, just yanking people's chains. Like these are jobs and we owe it to each other to be professional as much as possible. Yeah. Because we've definitely heard stories about, there are some showrunners who view assistants as just assistants as opposed to aspiring writers who want to get staffed. And so if, if you're that type of person, then just be honest with the people that you're hiring that not to expect to be staffed on this show so that they can make up their mind if they actually want to take the job. Because there are some people that want to be, let's say, just a script coordinator, mm-hmm. you know, and they've been doing it for many years and they're very good at it. But most of those script coordinators want to be writers. And I know so many script coordinators have been doing it for 7, 8, 10, 12 years. And they just are constantly viewed as that's all you are. Wow. And this limbo, you're trying to get rid of this limbo that so many writers feel that they're in, where they're just trying to sort of feel their way through this career. And you wouldn't expect that in any other career. Thank you so much. I want to, I want to make sure that everybody knows where they can read this report. So the, re- the report itself is BTS, Behind the Scenes, The State of Inclusion and Equity in TV Writing, but it is found on womeninfilm.org. That's the website, right? W- womeninfilm.org? Yeah, the direct, um, the direct link to us can be uh, rightinclusion.org. Rightinclusion.org. Okay, great. Um, all right, guys, you guys are probably so sick of, about talking about all this stuff. So let's talk about you for just a second before I let you go, which is what are you writing on that you're really excited about? Or what are you writing toward that you're excited about? 
Go, Angela. Oh, I, <laughs> I'm writing on so uh, I have so many things that can't haven't been announced yet that I'm really excited about. I probably shouldn't have said the thing about the Disney Plus show with you guys, but I did because I'm really excited about Yay. it. Um, <laughs> and I um, this I'm, I'm going to go into season ten of American Horror Story. Oh so wow! I'm excited about that. Wow, season ten. Woo. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that room starting. Um, yeah, I just don't even know what I can say. I can say I have um, a horror show um, with Bad Robot, and I have a um, a show about um, investigative journalists at 20th, and um, we'll see. That's a, that's that is amazing stuff yeah look people who listen to this podcast are very used to the very important people going i just can't talk about it because (laughs) they're very important people and i totally get that are you were you a fan of american horror story yes uh season one i ate it up and i've been watching ever since um if people have not been watching, I think Apocalypse is just super fun. Even just the teaser of the first episode of the Apocalypse season is so good. But it is very scary because it's too much like what we're dealing with in our regular life. But check it out. I'll check it out. I will check it out. Thank you. What, what about you, Shereen? What are you working on that you're excited about or working toward that you're excited about? Oh my gosh. Um, well, working on New Amsterdam is so much fun because, uh, from the get go, when the showrunner talked about it, it was, Hey, we're going to be talking about the issues. And I was like, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Cause, um, when I came out here, it was to be a sci-fi writer, um, sci-fi fantasy, supernatural, all of that is my, my heart, but mostly because you get to use those worlds as allegory for talking about the real stuff, the, mm-hmm. what's really going on in society. So to be able to talk, to do a show where we don't have to use an allegory was really, really fun. Um, but also working on some pitches uh, that we're taking out again. I don't know how much I'm allowed to say, but um, one is a supernatural type uh, story. I have another one that is, um, you know, 1960s British boarding school. Uh, another one that is about the IRA in Ireland. Um, all of it's like, it's all like a weird hodgepodge when like most of my, most of the people who know me would be like, and you're going to write the next Babylon five too, right? <laughs> Which is one of my favorite shows. Um, uh, do you guys have, uh, a schedule that you are on right now for your own personal writing, considering, you know, that we're all locked up. And I know that, you know, if you're on staff, you know, you're on their schedule too, but is, have you, do you have a certain, do you get up early in the morning? Do you write at night? Are you binge writers on weekends? Like how, you know, what are your writing methods that you could maybe pass on to to the writers that are listening? I'm an early riser. Yeah. I, I get up, I get up, I walk the dog and have my coffee. And uh, then I pretty much sit in this spot <laughs> all day until, um, you know, I am, um, I, I'm not somebody who can write at night. I know a lot of folks are night owls, um, but 
No, and I, I've, I've just, ever since pandemic, I've just been trying not to put too much pressure on myself because it takes a lot of emotional energy to write. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's been in short supply lately. <laughs> but um, I still sit here. <laughs> <laughs> I still sit here and some days it's one scene and sometimes it's, sometimes it's a normal day, which would be quite a bit more than that. But um I just do what I can. <laughs> and Shereen, you're have you been in the writers' room? Uh, uh, we've right been now? in we've been in our virtual Zoom writers' room since June, and um, it's very interesting a Zoom room. It's um, exhausting because you're it's you know you, you are constantly on camera. I can't I'm, I'm like making hand gestures and I'm like wait nobody's going to be able to see me. <laughs> <laughs> But, um, yeah, I mean, you're, you're on camera all the time. You're staring at a screen all the time. Um, so zoom fatigue is definitely a real thing. And I'm, I'm very thankful to our showrunner for recognizing that zoom fatigue is a real thing. Um, and for, for me, I mean, in terms of like when I write Angela and I are the exact opposite what's hilarious is that there's oftentimes when i'll be going to bed and have I'll, I'll oftentimes i'll finish my writing and i'll shoot off some emails that i hadn't gotten a chance to respond to and i'll send them just as angela's getting up so my most productive hours are um 11 or 12 in the evening and 12 5 30 or 6 in the morning wow really hard to do when you're on staff. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. It's a little bit of a vampire in you. Just a tiny yeah. bit. Got it. Got Super it. Sensual. Yeah. <laughs> I, just, I don't think Shireen actually sleeps. Because huh. like she said, it's like, I'll email her when I'm getting up. I'll be getting emails or at six something in the morning. I'm like getting up and then we're emailing again by noon. And I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> Weren't you just going to bed? One last question. That. And then I will let you go. Okay. I'm going to put you on the spot as creators again. Um, any, what's your favorite writing tip to leave writers with? Favorite thing that, you know, do you have a technique for action lines, dialogue, um, outlining, um, you know, scene work, anything that you love that you want to share. Totally put them on the spot. Totally. <laughs> I'll, I'll give uh, advice that was given to me. Um, and I've, I've seen this with a lot of younger writers is that write forward, write a full draft. Because if you continuously rewrite, rewrite, rewrite what you've already written, you're never going to get to the end. And I think a lot of, especially younger writers, get stuck in that cycle. And then they frustrate themselves and then they're like, okay, well, I'll just move on to the next thing. No, finish a project. Right. Because right. if you don't finish your project, you will never have a sample. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, yes. Yes, yes. I love that. Writing, writing is rewriting and just embrace it. But, because- but don't start rewriting till you till you finished your first draft. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Great tip. Angela, what about you? Um, I would just say I didn't always outline. Mm-hmm. Uh, outlining is something that I've just started leaning into in the past couple of years. And um, I, I wish I'd always done it. <laughs> I would say outline, 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 but um, no pressure on your outline. Like, 
let it be prose. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't need bullet points. We don't need number charts. We don't need (laughs) (laughs) prose out your sentences and like think through every scene all the way through to the end and then do your first draft. Got it. Great, great advice. Thank you so much. Um, Are you on social media? Well, there is there. First of all, is there social media for uh, the report for the organization uh, for the think tank? Yes, we are at Right Inclusion, W-R-I-T-E, Right Inclusion on Twitter and Instagram. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm at Nations Film on all platforms. Nations Film. Okay. All right. And Shereen, what about you? I'm at Why Shereen, Why Not? And so the first why is initial why, second why is the word why. Got it. Why Shereen, why not? Sure. And I'm only on Twitter. I haven't I haven't broken down and joined Instagram. Oh, it's kind of fun. fun. It's nicer than Twitter. Everybody's (laughs) yeah, right? Everybody's nicer there. Everyone's nice. (laughs) And I want to remind everybody to go to onthepage.tv to check out the online classes. Um, my social media is at on the page everywhere. Um, and, uh, and I just can't thank Shireen and Angela enough for being here. And it's sort of a, a shout out also to Jude Roth. Jude Roth is also on the think tank. Um, and she's the person that brought this to my attention and introduced us. And I really appreciate it. Have you ever read Jude? Have you ever read any of her stuff? She's amazing. She's so good, right? Jude? Yeah, can, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And a super hard worker. Like all the things that we write out, out of time, you know, Jude has always just right there to help us out. And um, she's she's part of our steering committee and just as a, a thought leader in what we do. It's, we're really happy and proud to have her. Yeah. Yay, Jude. There you go. Okay. So thanks to Jude. Thanks to Shireen. Thanks to Angela. Thanks to all of you for listening and have a good writing week. 